Unpacking Chrysalis, the art of being human. Oh, hello, Clayton. How are you today? Pretty sweet, Benny. How are you doing? I'm just doing, you know, that's always it. I'm always a solid this this way or that way, I guess, on everything. Before we start today's podcast, uh, you've been at the company longer than me, and I have a question for you, and maybe you can answer it. Where did sabbaticals come from? For us, not like in the history of the world, but like where do IQ <laughs> slash chrysalis sabbaticals come from? Yeah, you know, this is actually kind of a beautiful story. I think this really gets at the intentionality of the company in trying to create space for people to pursue the art of being human. You know, sabbaticals emerged out of a desire to recognize that after a period of time, it is really important for people to take time to reflect. So in this case, it's seven years, you get seven weeks off, and the one rule is that you can't work. The intention of that is to give a person a clear period of time to reflect on, on their work, on their life, and and consider the extent to which they're doing the things that are adding energy to their lives. And that's kind of a simple way to describe it. But I can tell you that our guest today, uh, Rhonda, is an example of somebody that took that seven weeks and as she describes in this podcast, flipped a switch. And what the conversation focuses around is Rhonda wanted to talk about gratitude. And this is kind of that story of how gratitude became so clearly available to Rhonda during that sabbatical. I should say sabbatical number three is coming up for Rhonda this year. So this is 14 years ago and it has sustained. Uh, the reason I know it's a, a, a sustained thing is that I'm married to Rhonda. We've been married for 30 years. But what was beautiful about this conversation is how clearly Rhonda just describes her personal journey with her work journey and the intermingling of them, uh, the ups, the downs, and uh, the effect of being the first person to take a sabbatical. And that, I think, is the, the fascinating conversation that that rolled out as a result of that. Yeah, you know, Clayton, I was going to give you a giant shout out for being able to track down the first person in the company to take a sabbatical. I was like, wow, how the hell did you ever do that? And it just turns out they've been your roommate for like 30 plus years. So <laughs> that's a little, that's right. you know, an easy, easy win. You bunch it on that one. So congratulations. I'm very happy about that. Happy that Sweet. Rhonda did the podcast. Super insightful. It is funny because it isn't actually meant to be a podcast about sabbaticals. Rhonda came here to talk about gratitude, which is very important to her. But as you listen to it, you'll find out how we get to the point where gratitude becomes a thing uh, that is important. So with, uh, with that, we're going to play the episode and then Clayton and I will catch you on the flip side. So see you in a bit. Yeah, see you in a bit. All right, Rhonda, just a little five questions to get to know you a little bit. What's one of your favorite movies? Oh, that's actually a hard question. Uh, I like uh, Pride and Prejudice. Who'd you like to have dinner with? Live or dead? Prince. Oh, there's, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, geez, I never even thought of that. <laughs> uh, hidden talent or a quirky skill? I can decorate old lady cakes, like all the sugar flowers. I can do the pansies, the daisies the roses all that stuff i can attest to that hey if you were to write a book what genre would it be uh psych psychological thriller something mm. scary if you could instantly master any musical instrument which one would you choose drums 
Drums? Drums. Wow. Yeah, I would like to up my uh, skills as a, a very good medium rock band drummer. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks for that. Well, let's get going with this uh, this podcast. So today my guest is Rhonda Caswell. Welcome to the podcast, Rhonda. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've actually known you, obviously, for 36 years. I shouldn't say obviously, but we are in a relationship. We've been married for, well, since 1993. So just to get that out there for the, uh, just so everybody knows as they're listening here, that there's uh, maybe some inside jokes that we make. I, I don't know what's going to happen actually because of that. but There's probably going to be a little shorthand. Yeah, we'll try not yeah. to, but yeah. Yeah, we'll have to be thoughtful about that. Um, but I've actually, uh, not actually, I've always really admired your ability to make sense of the world around you and the way your mind works. So I'm really looking forward to this this conversation. Even after 36 years of knowing you, I'm, I'm sure I'm just going to learn some things. Even in the five questions thing, learning that you wanted to get better at drums, that was new for me. But anyway, maybe you could start us off just by introducing yourself. I am Rhonda Caswell. I've uh, been at IQ Metrics for over 20 years. I was with Jump.ca before that, so all total since 2000, so half past forever. Uh, I've worked on the product side. I was like the first QA, first BA, uh, and then I was on the client side for years. Um, and now I get to deal mostly with data process, really in my wheelhouse. On the personal side, I'm a mother of two grown grown-ass kids mm -hmm. I've got a lovely little granddaughter who every weekend just lights up our lives and you know I like to bake I cook all that stuff I'm getting tired of all that I like to garden a lot of the domestic stuff that's how I was raised and that's that's what I enjoy doing and and you got that trophy husband so there's a big yeah. victory there well yes what can yeah. you say about that man on my arm yeah <laughs> All right. Hey, on this show, the idea is to better understand our company through the people who are at the company. And I always let the guests choose the topic. And you wanted to focus on gratitude. So maybe just give me a sense of um, a little bit about why this topic is meaningful for you. Gratitude for me, it's been an important piece of who I am for, for about 10 years. But I mean, it had been percolating for probably 10 years before that. So I didn't get to the point where I am now overnight. It wasn't like that. I, partly by nature and partly with how I was raised, a product of my environment, which was, you know, a, a very traditional household where my mom stayed home until I was 16. Um, I'm the oldest. So by the time I was 11, 12, I was, I was cooking like meals for like, I could cook chili for the family. <laughs> so there was always like a, a lot of responsibility, a lot of things that I felt I had to do. I am very critical by nature. I can walk into a room in my house and I can point out 10 things that should be cleaned, redone. And when your mind works that way and when you were raised to be looking for these kinds of things, you can be in a real negative headspace a lot. Like it's really easy. Like if you're critical and it comes out of your face, it it hurts other people's uh, feelings if you don't mm. do it right. It, I mean, there was just a lot of things. My first foray into gratitude was because of 
Oprah and my mom back in the day when Oprah had her show on TV. That's how old we are. There was a a time where she was really into gratitude. There was a pink book. I had like a tree on it. I can't remember what it was called. And my mom got that for me. And it was basically the the crux of it was to be writing down five things every day that you're grateful for. I would do it a little bit. Um, This is before we had kids, I think. But then the kids came and you kind of, you know, it kind of upends a few things in your life. I went away from it again. Um, and then in 2002, I ruptured my Achilles tendon, which was kind of a big deal. Wanted to drop a few pounds before we went to Mexico for the very first jump.ca trip. <laughs> and uh, the very first game, a few minutes in, uh, I went down like a sack of potatoes and I had ruptured my Achilles tendon, had surgery was feeling pretty sorry for myself at the beginning. Um, And then as that went on, um, I was working from home at the time and very grateful for that. So, I mean, that's kind of where that started. And then I would start noticing, like I'd be looking outside because it was in the winter Mm. and people were shoveling their walks and I just wanted to be out there doing those normal little things again. But it was hard because I was in a boot and I had crutches and, and all that good stuff. So I kind of re- revisited the whole gratitude uh, piece back then. And then, you know, uh, life was busy with kids and family and and work. Um, I changed. I came over to IQ Metrics that winter. So it kind of fell off again. And then, the, but the last time that it cropped up and it really, really, really stuck was with my sabbatical. So I was the first person um, at Acumetrics to take my sabbatical. And I did like a bunch of ridiculous things that if you want to get into that, you can ask me questions about it. But I didn't go anywhere because um, I took my sabbatical like in February or something crazy. And uh, I mean, because I was so angry at that point. I was just an angry, bitter um, woman. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'd be we'd be driving back to work at lunch and I'd see someone walking their dog and I'm all mad at them because like what do they do in their life that they get to walk their dog at one o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon like I was just rotten unhappy and uh and then during the sabbatical I just uh slowed everything right down and um for me it was like a, a switch was flicked and the idea of living for what's happening right now, noticing what is wonderful and lovely in my life right now, every day, it just took root. And, you know, when you can be excited about the smell of rain and that makes your whole day better, you're in a pretty good place. That's my look outlook on gratitude. I remember that, obviously. I don't remember the angry part. That I think those sorts of things are just cumulative and they're iterative and just kind of a, a person kind of acquires this mindset and this outlook over time so it's not necessarily noticeable but I definitely did notice I definitely noticed when you came back from sabbatical that you just had a different perspective and I I definitely wasn't the only person to notice that and I know Chris and Greg even still talk about that (laughs) they still reference that I I guess I can only guess why but I'm sure it, it showed Chris that the idea of bringing sabbaticals in made a lot of sense And it was evidence that, yeah, you know, when you give people seven weeks of time with one rule, which is you can't work, it actually gives them space to just be and to think and to reflect. And uh, I think sometimes people get wrapped up in it's supposed to be a big production, like you have to do something amazing or you have to set aside time to reflect and be. But I don't know how you approached that, but 
How did you how did you approach <laughs> how that? How did I approach that? Well, because no one had done it before. I remember we were in Mexico the week before on the trip. We went to Mexico, I came back and I started my sabbatical. So I thought that was a genius at the time. And uh, I had my application to go back to to school on the piano. I, I was going to go back and be a, a math teacher for high school kids. And yeah, can you imagine? I can, I can totally imagine that. I just think <laughs> it's funny that, you know, our our daughter is a teacher now. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I had a conversation with, with Greg, and I don't remember what he actually said, but I remember, like, carrying that with me um, as I, I went on this. And um, I did little things. And... Well, I did some weird little things like I, I did Betty Draper days. I well I remember that. I tried I tried it once. So uh, Mad Men was a big thing back then. That's how long ago it was. So I thought what I saw Betty Draper do on TV was she would uh, get up, she provided breakfast for her family, and then she would smoke and drink all day when they were gone. So I <laughs> I got up, I did my hair and makeup, put on some nicer clothes. My kids were really wondering what was going on. I make them breakfast, got everyone out the door. And then uh, I didn't want to drink wine. So I had uh, tequila sunrises <laughs> and I could have a couple of those. And then I'd find I just kind of got tired and I'd lay down and nap on the couch. So uh, I did that one day and then I was like, okay, we've got to try it again. And the same thing happened the second time. So I just played little, like little games with myself. I mean, the thing that really clicks and that I remember the most is we're not the best at keeping our driveway and our walkway clean in the winter at times, especially the driveway. So I remember going out there and shipping ice for like hours. Mm. And I didn't hate it. Like I actually enjoyed right. it. There was something so meditative for me about clearing off a section and it being pristine and perfect. Mm -hmm. That I was like, oh, when I'm not burdened with running after the kids, taking care of the family, you know, all the things, plus work on top of it, this is enjoyable. Like this, mm -hmm. like the little, like that is such a ridiculous little thing. The other thing I remember doing as clear as day is we've got a, a large tiled section floor on our main level and the grout needed to be cleaned. So <laughs> I got on the floor, like it took me, I think, three hours and I was down there with my iPad. I was binging some show. I can't remember the name of it, but I know what show it was. And uh, I spent like the whole afternoon washing the floors and I really enjoyed it. So mm. I came to realize that the things that I thought I was hating, it's not about hating. It's just that I'm mm. trying to do all the things all the time and it's hard and it's exhausting. So slowing down and, and uh, you know, appreciating what you have um it that's kind of where it welled up from and that's when it stuck for me mm. that's a wild story because you're doing the most mundane mm -hmm. things and things that people avoid like crazy uh chipping the ice mm -hmm. i mean we're in saskatchewan so we get a really good cold winter and there's lots of chipping to do and cleaning grout on a floor <laughs> these are yep. things people avoid and actually, like you say, they, they those are things that get added to your things I hate to do list, but only in the context of when you're trying to do everything. So when you had time to slow down, that really seemed to 
change all of that. But, you know, my thing is mindfulness, right? I, I, I have a, a kind of a medium term, maybe 10 year practice of trying to be mindful, which is what you're describing is uh, being in the moment, not thinking about not spending too much time in the future, not spending too much time in the past, uh, definitely avoiding comparing yourself to others and really just recognizing that, you know, everything you ever needed kind of is always was always in you. You're already you're already everything. You know, what's, my mind is racing a little bit because yesterday I was in Safeway and this woman had a tattoo on her arm and it said, you are enough. And I read it and I was like, what a beautiful message. I was thinking, I wonder what got her to put it on her arm. Like what, what was the extent to which she needed that? Anyway, and then I just said to her, I said, you know, that's a, I really like the message on your arm. And she said, thank you. And I said, you know, it's completely true, but it's hard to remember in the moments. And, you know, that was it. That was the moment. But anyway, boy, what a journey that humans go on to try to appreciate the current, the moment. And <laughs> how much better is it when you can actually do that? Yeah, it. I think um, like the difference between you and I in terms of how we uh, go through the world. I mean, my decisions first are done on how I feel about things and you will think your way through everything. And I I notice that I'm far more capable and easily can compartmentalize things like better than you, mm-hmm. which I'm so thankful for because I can, I can uh, just put things to the back where I don't even feel like I'm thinking on anything. But then when I'm asked a question, all of a sudden it comes back up to the front and it's yeah. it's evolved, it's fully thought out. Like it makes no sense, but that's how my brain works. Um, well, it makes no <laughs> sense how you get there, but it makes total sense when you respond. Just yes. to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's like, uncanny actually how that works, but it 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 really blows my mind how you I'll think about something for months and you'll have and you'll have a reflexive response to it that's really the same or even better than where I got after pondering something for a few months. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like a a different way of being in the now. Like when I can remove that stuff that you know, you can sit there and tend to worry about like, are the kids okay? And, you know, how is this going to turn out? And what's the next step here? Like, I like next steps. And I love a plan. God, I love having a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting tired of making plans, but I love having one. Mm-hmm. You need another sabbatical. Yeah, next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third one. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Who knows what we'll do? Yeah, I don't worry about too much. I think that's why like, I don't get flapped at work is all like, Oh my God. Like, do you remember me flying into your office going, I'm fucking quitting. I'm quitting. And you're just like, yeah. slow your roll what's happening. Yeah. And it would be because, you know, someone that I work with, I thought was not being treated right. Or like, just right. any, I would go from being really high. Like I was cycling so bad going from yeah. really high to really low and super fast. It was just, I was getting whiplash with my, in mm-hmm. within my own head. And and once I had that sabbatical and came back to the whole idea of every day, I, I was thankful for taking my dog for a walk in minus 25 yeah. at 1 p.m. Because that's what I wanted to do. And damn it, I was doing it. And it felt anchoring myself to that 
kind of mentality. And, and I did, I went back to work and part of what was at work that was, I was struggling so hard with is that they were bringing in business analysts who the, they, this is what they had gone to school for. And I hadn't, I've got a psych degree. I, I have that constantly becoming, that's Rhonda. That's all nice. I've done. I've just made things up. We were a startup something needed to be done, I'll try that. And that's how my career's gone. So when they started bringing people in who spoke a little bit of a different language, and I had to try to learn that. And I just, I was really insecure. I thought maybe the company had, had gone past me and that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't enough. And so that was like, at at a lot of it at a, and the insecurity. And so that time with myself. So being in now, it just gave me that strength to say, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to be the best BA that I can be because I knew that the developers I worked with um, respected me. They enjoyed working with me. And Mm -hmm. I pumped out a lot of stuff, like lots of RQ and, you know, as crazy it is. But I mean, it's a long time ago. We worked, we were working within the constraints of the time, but a lot of that stuff that's in there is, is still stuff that I did like a long time ago. It's it's uh it's been a trip now. Do you have a way of describing the difference between the full of gratitude Rhonda or the ability to have gratitude Rhonda and the one before that? Is there like some way to describe like how you feel different? Yeah, I think the big difference is first sabbatical was what in 2011, I believe. What we're a good 12 years out. How does it feel to be Rhonda now versus then? What's the mind space? It's, What's the? It's just like happy is not the right word, but there's just a a contentment, like <clears throat> a, in the in the core of who I am, mm-hmm. that I don't I won't rattle as easily, like not like not not really be shook at, right. at, at situations. You know, and part of that comes from having gone through some really tough stuff personally. Our our kids, when they were in those formative years, some (laughs) of it at at the situations that I found myself in, you know, at work. um, You know, you get older, you see a lot of things. And if you can, if you can learn from it, you can just get to a point of contentment because I was not content before. Mm-hmm. I was super competitive. I was always wanting someone's uh, to validate all. I mean, everyone wants validation. That's just part of being human. But I mean, it was too important for me to want validation from others. Yeah. And uh, you start looking inward and understanding like who you are, what you are. For me, like I said, that sabbatical, it was like a switch. It it wasn't hard. It's nothing like I I tried to do something. It's not like trying to get me to exercise on a regular basis. We all know that doesn't work well. Uh, but this was just um, this was just a switch, and it and it stuck. And I'm so thankful that it did because it's just the perspective and my ability to navigate difficult times is just mm-hmm. um, it's just way better and healthier. I think I can help other people around me when when waters are rough, like when we talk about work, I say one of the things I do like doing is going into a chaotic situation and smoothing everything down, you know, like mm-hmm. I enjoy that. Yeah. You know, you talked about um, imposter syndrome and and you mm-hmm. related it to, um, you know, your career path being emergent, uh, evolutionary, as opposed to going to school, getting a particular skill and then coming in and applying that trade. And that makes sense. But, you know, I, I see 
a lot of um this is a common thing still among those people that went to school got specifically trained on a specific thing still feel the imposter syndrome even you know people that you, you point at and like, you'd want to be like them you'd want to be you know you admire them and then you yeah. talk to them and there's there's a, there's imposter syndrome in there um do you notice that around as well definitely something I felt and I know that conversation has happened a lot mm -hmm. in my professional career but I would say that you know I think I can relate it even to you know when you're you're growing up and you you go to school so you get out you know average around 22 and when you're 22 like you're a you're a grown-ass adult but I'm sure we all had the feelings like uh when am I going to feel like a grown-up Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we got married. Still don't really know if I feel like a grown up. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have kids. It's like, well, no, still not sure what I'm doing. So, yeah. I mean, I think if you take a look at life in general, I think like what you think being a grown up is when you're young, <laughs> doing whatever <laughs> you want, <laughs> whatever you want. Well, yeah, yeah, within your means and there's all these limitations, right? So I just think that the imposter syndrome is something that I think in some aspect, most of us actually probably go through, but we just don't mm -hmm. think of it like that. Like, because why else would you think I don't feel like I'm an, a grown up in your, in your early 30s? And you're like, okay, yeah, now I finally do. Like, mm -hmm. you've owned a house, you've had two kids, like, you know, it doesn't, that's, of course, you're a grown up. Right. Um, so I think I think it's just kind of an, a natural thing. What I went to school for, you don't come out and you don't have a profession. Like right. when I grew up, I wanted to be a physical therapist. Well, that didn't happen. So then what are you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and because that is uh, has been a question ever since I graduated from, or, you know, from university. What are you? Then and you're not sure because. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I'm stepping into roles that I had never heard before, you know, reading a lot about agile development, <laughs> sort of keep up the pace. But uh, yeah, so I think I, this, I think imposter syndrome is probably quite natural, but I, if we can recognize it sooner to get over it instead of it yeah. stalling you out, because it really can, you can really get wrapped up in your head and oh, second guessed yeah. way too many things instead of you know, yeah. making progress instead of waiting for perfection, right? I want to ask you about the effect of your perspective on the relationships around you at work. So so your perspective of gratitude and appreciation and presence, how does that affect the way you engage with other people at work? But I'd also like to understand what is it about the environment that you work in that make space for you to practice gratitude and appreciation? Well, we've always been given a lot of space, I mm -hmm. feel, at Qmetrics. Like it's, well, a, a ton of space. Like I said, mm -hmm. like, I've always, like my career basically in a nutshell is, oh, something's not being done and that's what we need. Oh, I'll try. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's all I've done. So I've been given space to try things, I've failed at things, um, but we learn and we we move forward. When I was younger, I mean, because I do like 
do like my rules and they do like mm-hmm. my process. And that has not been a strength here. And and it was difficult for me to to um, find my way to begin with. I felt like felt like there was a path somewhere, but I'm in the dark and no one gave me a flashlight. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was just. And so it was difficult early on professionally at IQ Metrics. But now that I've been here building um, this culture for for 20 years and looking back, those struggles were hard. But at the point I'm at now, I know that it would be really hard to work in a lot of other places because I don't think that yeah. latitude to to yeah. just, especially like now that we're in like Regina in a government town, um, the, the latitude to experiment and try and and mm-hmm. create like we did, you know, that doesn't happen just anywhere. Yeah, and, even to and, participate yeah. and know that you're being asked to share your thoughts and ideas and it's yeah. It, it yeah i do take that for granted here not that it doesn't exist in other places i'm just saying i've talked to other friends who work in places yes. that are like oh yeah no i mean that's not what i'm asked to do i'm asked to do these very specific tasks and i don't actually get asked to think about other things so i just don't right yeah if i was to ask you about advice for mm-hmm. cultivating gratitude how what advice would you offer people is that a fair question well i'm not i'm not so good at advice yeah i can only speak to my experience that's what i was thinking advice is not quite fair i know that's not your style so i was thinking maybe the the, yeah i was thinking i was fighting with myself as to how to ask that question but how would you um describe the the specifics of what practices do you have around gratitude for me, it's not it's not a it's not a formal it's not a formal practice. It's not like, you know, I, I don't journal. I <laughs> I don't I don't I don't do any of that stuff. What I what I do is simple reminders every mm-hmm. now and again. I like using my little notebooks for my my tasks because I like procedure yeah. and I like to I like to stroke things off the list that I've completed. Um, so I'll you know put reminders like. You know, I'm feeling tired and and I, so I need to get to bed on time tonight like that. Mm. That's a focus. It's like just those little things and and understanding when I'm feeling a certain way or if I feel like, you know, you're not doing enough around the house to send stop and not yeah. say anything. Where is this coming? Like, yeah, I I guess that's a practice, but it's not like a conscious thing. It's it's not a, there's no routine. It's just yeah, I expect I hope that people give me grace to make mistakes and not be perfect around yeah. me. So I need to extend that same courtesy to those people around me. Yeah. You know, if I'm a little bit crabby in my head and I notice something's not done, it's like, oh yeah, but all these other things have been taken care of by Clayton. So just like relax. You've been having right. a nap for three hours. Relax. You know, that kind yeah. of stuff. So it that's that's how I approach it. But like I I I don't know, to call that a practice, I don't know if that's accurate, but. What you're describing is heuristics. What you're describing are habits that you've developed that in the moment you call on, this is what you're talking about. So I'm, I have practices, like I do all these things that you describe not doing, but what you, what you've done is actually gone past that and 
integrated it into heuristics, into habits, that, which is more powerful. Like I have to purposefully sit down and journal. I have to purposely sit down and practice some mindfulness or do some meditation, go for a, a bike ride. I want you to recognize that what you've done is it, it's it's like it's the next level. You've integrated these into your life. So yeah, it's better. <laughs> it's better than the stuff that I have to do. It's more effective. So the culture from which sabbaticals emerged uh, has obviously played an important role in this for you. What else is it about the way you're able to operate at this place that contributes to these practices that you have or this, these heuristics that you've developed, these habits? Well, I think there are kind of like three, three types of people who come into IQ metrics. We have people who are just out of school mm -hmm. and all green. And for the lack of a better phrase, don't don't know any different better. Yeah, um, highly skilled, get, but they don't yeah. have the application experience of those skills yet. Yeah. Yeah. We do get a lot of that. Yeah. And then we get people who have come from somewhere quite structured at times who I think uh, find it difficult to to be within our framework at times, like especially yeah. to start off with. It's just like, what the hell's happening here? It's and then we get. Yeah, and then we get people who really keyed in on um, the pieces of culture during their interview who are like super keen to, to try this out. But even when mm. they're super keen to try it out, it still can be really disorienting because it's yeah. it's not there's no it's not a linear path. It's it's not about climbing a ladder. Like it's right. it's just a little bit different. And and once you let go of climbing a ladder here at Acumetrics at, at or at Chrysalis, mm. I think things just kind of bust wide open for you. It's a matter of, I can try to do this thing. It will impact the company in this way. I see value in it. I know the company sees value in it. And I'll get to work with different people and expose mm -hmm. myself to the way they think and the way they operate. Like, I often joke about how I'm not a creative person. I like my even my cake decorating. I don't really come up with original ideas. I'll see someone else's idea and then I do my own mm -hmm. riff on it. And yeah. that's kind of what I do with all the different people within IQ metric. I try to mm -hmm. take the pieces of them that I really like and yeah. I try like I I'm just like in a little amoeba going around and yeah. take taking all the people's powers. That's kind of how I see it. Like you could yeah. probably go through a list of people that I've worked with at Icumetrics and yeah. I could tell you, here's what I've learned from them. Like, because yeah. that's what it's about. It's the different ideas and the whole idea of diversity to me is just mm -hmm. so powerful. Like, while we all need to have kind of the same focus and drive to where we want to go, how mm -hmm. we get there as individuals, bringing our own experiences and like life experiences and, and, uh, educations and and work experience all coming together to make this like super mm -hmm. cool thing yeah that would be helpful if if that was better understood that that's the starting point and get past the things that hold us back when i hear you talking i'm thinking about the mindset that each of us has has a big impact on how other people feel in this space like if you come in and you recognize, oh, these people trust me and they respect me, I don't have to get my elbows out and prove that I belong here. It's it's actually inverted from that. I think that's a really powerful thing, but I also don't know that people understand that that could be true. 
I also know that that's not the experience that everybody has because, but that is one of the ideas is that, you know, because we have, um, you know, a good cultural interview process, we really try to be open and honest with people about who we are and why, what we think we are as a company. And we try to have people leave that cultural interview, for example, just really clear minded about, do I want to spend time here? Do I want to spend time with these people? Would I thrive here? Like, that's the idea. So that when you get the job offer and you start, you actually have just this whole bag of trust and respect that I think is a little bit different. Other places, I think you kind of have to have this prove yourself, prove that you belong mentality. And I guess my point is this, I think that this really opens people up. It's like, oh, I am trusted here. I am respected here. It makes you more uh, able to engage with the people around you. If I think you trust me, I can share ideas with you. If I think you respect me, I can push back and say, and be curious, why are we doing this? Oh, okay. Not to fight, but just to be, not just blindly accept, but also just to better understand, oh, this is why. And that why you know, of course, Simon Sinek has made a lot of money off of the why, but that's <laughs> important. It's it's understanding the why helps you make decisions and help you be more energetic, helps you engage more. And I do think a lot of that is rooted in this trust and respect thing. And I feel like the, the connection here is if we understood that people do trust and respect us, we could get past the things that hold us back and just step into this place and be more ourselves and more engaged and have more joy is that fair joy yeah no i think yeah. i think joy is a fair word i think like i said before i think happy is a, a pr pretty loaded word <laughs> yeah. um and it's what does that bad. mean and for me happy is not um <laughs> to, to me it's it's content there's just a yeah. There's a relaxed nature behind it where I'm not uptight about all the things all the mm -hmm. time. Will yeah. I still get my knickers in a knot? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's, relaxed, yeah. but that, intense, that right? You can yes. be intense and relaxed. It doesn't mean, yeah, relaxed. One of the things that I've always thought about our culture that maybe people misunderstand is that the powerful part about our culture is that we were able to achieve things that we weren't sure we were able to achieve and not you know, the, the more obvious things that are available to us, like, you know, our vacation policy or, you know, buy your birthday or these really, you know, I think generous, thoughtful, human-based practices or policies that we have. But actually the joy comes, came from just being able to do things that as a group, we didn't know we could do. These other things that are what people think our culture might be, uh, those are just outcomes of of this work and these results, but I guess that's one thing I always feel like isn't understood, that it's about doing things that we didn't know, but but it but but we didn't know we could do. But in doing that, it just requires us to collaborate and it helps when we trust and respect one another and when we're humble and curious and these sorts of things. Does anything in there strike you? Or am I just rattling around a little too much here? It's a conversation between you and I. There's going to be some rattling around, but um, <laughs> <laughs> rambling and going off on tangents, that's my specialty. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think I think the trust thing um, at IQ Metrics right now is 
Like, I mean, that's kind of forefront in my mind. It was uh, one of the themes that came out of the discussion that, you know, we recognize that there is a, a loss of trust in the company with, you know, what happened in December with, mm-hmm. with that massive layoffs. And, you know, you start getting your footing underneath you and, and, you know, there's a bit of a disconnect at times between um, conversations that senior leadership have and their crystal clear understanding of what we need to do and how much of that crystal clearness, because they've spent so much time thinking on things, but how much of that's actually getting to IQers with that disconnect. And then when things happen, like a couple more people um, get laid off in, in June and, you know, just, it just, it, it feels gross as an IQer who is not aware of the things that are going on. But from where I sit, how I'm processing that is I'm processing it thinking that you know, that leadership group has a lot more information than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the s- decisions might not make full sense to me, but if they're bothering me enough that they're impacting what I'm doing, I'll ask questions to them um, or to those close to them if I don't have access. And and then I'm in this other role uh, where I'm um, trying to trying to communicate, trying to model the way in terms of how to try to move forward as an IQer when you mm-hmm. aren't sure on all the things and you're not sure how to trust right now because it's felt pretty gross for eight months. Like, yeah, you know, it's unsettled. Uh, it's unsettled. Yeah. So the, yeah. the trust piece there is is kind of right in the front of my my brain right now. It, it takes time and it's, you know, it's me honoring my commitments on a daily basis. It's it's me trying to be kind and give that grace for people to say what they need to say, trying to get my point across when it, it's not quite lining up with theirs, but in a kind way. Like it's not mm-hmm. like you're wrong, but here's how I'm approaching it kind of thing. Right. Um, so, I mean, that is something that's totally in the front, but it's not something that while December shook me real good, um, it was once the shock wore off for me, my first, my first inclination is, okay, what do we need to do to make this right? Like, let's go Mm -hmm. and, you know, doubling down efforts kind of thing. So, um, and for me, that's just far more hopeful. You know, because when you don't have hope, like what do you have? If we were to, if we were, if you were to think back on this conversation that we've had, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would have liked that we have talked about? You know, what my answer to that's going to be no. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't typically. If I need to say it, I'll, you know, if you ask me, I'll say it. So yeah, I'll just tell you, I'll tell you what I, what I'm thinking. What stood out to you, or did anything stand out to you about our conversation today? It's it's interesting when you, you know, take a, a look or, you know, this little retrospective walk I've been on this morning here with you is you, um, how, how your life is just all intertwined, right? Like mm-hmm. lessons from my kids I take into my work and lessons from my work I can take back to like our relationship mm-hmm. where it's all just one big ball for me at mm-hmm. this point because one I've been here so long and and that sort of thing I think that probably has something to do with it but you know we have a lot of people that have been here a long time so mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm not not the only one but right. um yeah no it's it's been nice so gratitude <clears throat> gratitude was your topic and uh 
I guess we can close with just I appreciate this conversation. It was it was really nice and uh, it was good to spend an hour chatting with you. So thanks for joining me on this. Thank you. There you go. That was Clayton and Rhonda doing what they do, doing it well. You know, one of the things I really like about this podcast as a whole, the whole series up to this point is we've approached people to talk about the things that they want to talk about. Clayton always says like, hey, you can talk about whatever you want. But one of the interesting things that happens is a lot of people have actually come to us and said that they want to talk about work. And I enjoy the authenticity about that. That being said, if you are listening to the podcast and you're like, man, I'd love to go talk to Clayton about something, it doesn't need to be work. Because one of the things that we're doing here is we're just learning about the people that we work with. And I think this episode really nails that for me, Clayton, because after listening to this episode, I went into a meeting with Rhonda and, you know, I've worked at the company not as long as either of you. I don't think I ever had the full picture. And so after listening to this episode, I went into that meeting with Rhonda and I was just like, hey, I know you and I know what you're about. It was just a really nice takeaway for me to be like, oh, man, I feel like I've had a really meaningful conversation with you. But really, it was Clayton. I just piggybacked on it. So thanks for doing that, Clayton. You know, one of the things that happened in there was I noticed I was learning about Rhonda, while I was talking to her, even though we've been together, uh, married for 30 years, I was learning about the the details of how she was in, experiencing these moments that I recall, but from my perspective. And she just does such a wonderful job in there of, of describing how she's working through, uh, you know, imposter syndrome, is the company passing me by, uh, how her career has just been an emergent career by uh, just putting up her hand to do things that needed to be done in a company that was, uh, you know, at, at those days, it was a startup. And it was a fascinating, really personal journey. Actually, today, I re-listened to this thing. And it was such a joy to listen to this person and trying to describe herself and how clearly she was able to do that in her journey. I was a little yeah. bit taken aback by it, actually. Yeah, I will also add this to it. Um, you know, we got values at the company, you know, and Chrysalis mm. has its values. And Clayton, you and I once made a video uh, describing the values that we show to new people. And mm. I forever have burned in my brain uh, Rhonda talking about constantly becoming because she's like, that is that is me. That's the clip. Mm -hmm. And it very much rings true when you listen to this podcast is that there's someone that was faced with with adversity and uh <laughs> you know gets a little bit peeved which is fair because i you know I, I don't like things so and they don't go my way but then just <laughs> continues to show up and continues to put up her hand and continues to do the job and what i think is funny is you like you said well oh, this was back when we were a startup but hey part of this company is still always being that person that puts up your hand. You're not always going to be showing the opportunity or the thing. Sometimes you got to show up and, and find it for yourself. And I think Rhonda really exemplifies that idea. So yeah, it was, it was great. And you know, with that, if you have ideas for an episode that you would like us to do, we're here for it. We take requests. If you want to be on the podcast or can think of someone else in the company that would be great on the podcast, let us know. And, uh, We'll we'll set it up again. I appreciate I appreciate you, Clayton, and the things you do. Thanks, Benny. Appreciate you too, Paul. Bye.
Unpacking Chrysalis, the art of being human. 